0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron.
1: Hi, Brett. Hey, Jeff. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm really excited to welcome a special guest today, Giovanna or Gia Abru Okano. Did I pronounce that right? A bro O'Connor. A bro O'Connor. So, no, the answer is no. You did not. <laughs> well, all right. Gia, no I'm so. going to stick with Gia. That I got right. Yes, Gia works. is a probate litigator with RMO Probate Litigation, which is a national law firm with offices throughout the country focused on trust and probate litigation. And Gia is actually the managing attorney of the Miami office, which she helped launch. Her practice focuses on representing beneficiaries and fiduciaries in all types of probate and trust-related litigation. She'll tell us more about that. She's also an adjunct professor at FIU on legal skills and values. She's a director of the Miami-Dade Florida Association of Women Lawyers and a chair of the 11th Judicial Circuit Screening Committee for Court Appointments in Mental Health Proceedings, Extraordinary Guardianship Issues, and Other Matters Via Registry a catchy title. I'm glad you got through that. Yeah, good job. barely did. Well, anyway, welcome Gia. We're happy to have you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So Gia, you are, as we mentioned, the managing attorney of the Miami office. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up becoming a lawyer in Miami. You weren't born in Miami, right?
2: I wasn't. I was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And Mm. I moved here for college and I went to FIU undergrad, Mm -hmm. stayed at FIU for law school. Great decision. (laughs) And then I interned for a probate judge. And after that, I got into probate, got my first job hired out of the courthouse and just kind of went on after that.
0: When you say hired out of the courthouse, were you literally hired out of the courthouse?
2: Basically. I met my first boss at the courthouse and he offered me a job while I was still working there. So
0: Uh, you were clerking or interning? I was
2: interning for Arthur Rothenberg when he was on the probate bench.
0: Sure. And an attorney appearing before the judge... Made you an offer
1: on the spot.
2: Yes. He asked me if I wanted to go be their law clerk.
1: So before you interned for Judge Rothenberg, did you know that you wanted to do probate? I mean, had that come
2: to you? I did. Mm-hmm. So I had a really great wills and trust professor, Eloisa Rodriguez Dodd at FIU, mm-hmm. who wrote the textbook on Florida wills and trusts. And she really mm-hmm. just captured me. I really liked property before that. But I really didn't think that I wanted to be a property attorney. Uh So I took Wills and Trust because it was bar tested and because I kind of went down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And I took that my last year at FIU. And I didn't know what I wanted to do before that. So once I took that class, I really wanted to pursue the field. And a friend introduced me to a friend of theirs who knew Judge Rothenberg and Mm -hmm. put me in touch and said, hey, go visit him, talk to him, see if he can house you this summer, and he did.
1: That's awesome. And I know in probate, especially, but in a lot of areas of practice, there's lawyers that just handle sort of the transactional side of it, and then there's the litigation side. You are on the litigation side primarily. Do you do the transactional as well?
2: So the most transactional that we'll do, and it's not really transactional, is administration of trusts and estates and guardianships, mostly estates, really. You do still have to go into the court, so that's why I call it not really transactional. Right. But really, it's the majority of our practice is litigation, and that's what we focus on, what we are geared towards.
1: So describe for the listeners what a typical litigation would be in a probate context.
2: You have your run-of-the-mill will contests or trust contests, and those vary between undue influence, Mm -hmm. lack of capacity cases, fraud, fraud sometimes improper execution when people don't cross their T's and dot their I's. Mm-hmm. From so this
0: is typically family of the deceased fighting about the enforcement right. of the will, whether it was executed properly, things right. like that.
2: Whether mom or dad or grandpa, grandma or other family member were improperly influenced by someone. We see a lot of caretaker influence cases. We see a lot of sibling rivalries and disputes. Mm-hmm. Mom liked you better or dad liked you better kind of thing, or you kind of ingratiated yourself with mom or dad. So we see a lot of those. We see a lot of blended family disputes. And what I mean by that is first marriage kids or second marriage kids and first marriage, second marriage spouse don't get along and they end up in a dispute sometimes despite mom or dad's efforts to plan for that.
1: Right. Is that where a lot of the will contest might come in, right? Absolutely. Right, Right. The will was just changed at the end. Now everything is going to the second spouse and not to the children from the first spouse. Correct. Yeah,
2: Or the second spouse wasn't included in the prior will or the prior trust. Got a couple like that. Mm -hmm. I kind of joke that I've become a blended family expert and (laughs) we're kind of counselors in that sense too, because the kind of family dynamics that you have to deal with are complicated and often taxing on everybody.
1: Do you need to, or do you find it beneficial in any of those circumstances to consult with or bring on a counselor?
2: I personally haven't, Mm -hmm. but I have spoken to a colleague of mine who also manages her office, and she shared that there was one engagement that she actually required that they talk to a family counselor because they just couldn't get along. So, it's something that I would suggest if I thought it was appropriate, but I've never had to go there.
0: (laughs) That's good. Fortunate for you. Fortunate, Right. right. Yeah. So, tell us about RMO. How did you come to launch the Miami office? And now manage it.
2: So I was at a different firm prior to RMO and I was contacted by someone who was recruiting for RMO's Miami office and they talked to me about the opportunity. It seemed like a great fit, interviewed with the three partners at the time Mm -hmm. and the rest was history. And all on Zoom, didn't meet them until June of 2021. And that's when I actually got to meet everybody that I worked with in person. Other than that, it was just weekly Zoom meetings and little squares on a screen.
0: Different times, right? (laughs) It's kind of crazy. Never would have thought uh, that would have happened. But the firm was started in California and they've slowly been expanding eastward?
2: Yes. We were started in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Scott Ron is our founding partner. Scott was the one who started it. His paralegal came with him and joined him and it was a Mm -hmm. two-man and woman show. And after that, he had Sean Muntz, who runs our Orange County. Well, he's our co-managing partner now. He used to be the head of our Orange County office, but has now ceded that to another attorney. Mm-hmm. So Sean and him were really the ones that got this show on the road, if you will. And they've slowly added younger newer partners. Matt Baker recently became a partner before I joined. And then David Greco, who runs our San Diego office, became a partner after that.
0: Several offices throughout California, but then... Also, some offices, I guess, Houston, is that right? Yes, our
2: latest office to launch was Houston in early April. And that office is headed up by Andrea Barr, who is fantastic. And she's another boss lady running an office (laughs) in our firm. So it's great. So yeah, we have four offices in California. One is a satellite office, our Ventura office. And Mm -hmm. then we've got Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego. We've got a Kansas City office as well. And that office services both Kansas and Missouri.
1: And the primary focus of the practice is, or maybe the only focus of the practice is probate and probate litigation. Is that right?
2: Right. Our focus is probate litigation. And within that umbrella, we kind of refer to it as probate, but it encompasses trust, estate, and guardianship litigation and elder exploitation and kind of like the tentacles of those kinds of cases. So Mm -hmm. there's a real estate issue that is incident to a probate and there needs to be real estate litigation, or if there is a creditor claim that is incident to a probate that needs to be litigated in a separate independent action, mm-hmm. we would handle that as well.
1: And if there are young lawyers or law students out there now thinking about what they want to do, can you give an elevator speech about why probate or probate litigation?
2: So probate litigation to me was interesting, first because of the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. It's something that I had never really been exposed to. And learning about it almost felt like a puzzle and putting together how you, I don't do planning anymore, but how you plan to avoid disasters later on. And then after seeing some of those disasters play out, Mm -hmm. I realized, you know what, this is a really exciting area of the law. It's kind of a closed universe, if you will, because a new case comes out and you absolutely find out about it. You know about it. Everybody's talking about it. New statute comes out. Last year, they expanded the Slayer statute, and that's been a big deal. I was
0: going to ask you about that.
2: I wrote an article about yeah, that. Yeah,
0: that's why. Yeah,
2: I just did a presentation right. on it. Worked on it yeah. until late last night. Let's um, hang
0: a lantern on that. We'll hang a
2: lantern, yes. Slayer statute. But there's really exciting issues, and I actually got to work on a Slayer statute case early in my career when I was a law clerk and later a young associate, and it was right,
0: tell everyone what the Slayer Statute is. Okay,
2: yeah. I will. So the Slayer Statute is essentially a set of laws, and it's not really just a statute. It's a set of statutes. It's a body of law and the common law as well that penalizes somebody who is trying to benefit from their own wrong by killing someone, by mm-hmm. now abusing, exploiting an elderly or disabled person or committing manslaughter of an elderly or disabled person. And the penalty is disinheritance. But you have to prove it by either a conviction in the Mm -hmm. criminal court or by the greater weight of the evidence in civil court that the person killed or contributed to the death of the decedent. So essentially, you prevent people from killing someone to get their life insurance or their estate or benefits under the will or intestacy or joint tenant rights.
1: And that was not a thing until the Slayer Statute came out?
2: So there was case. So I find law.
1: that really hard to imagine, but okay. There, yeah. there was it's,
2: case law before it was codified, I got and you. Okay. there was a common law body. And there's a case called Carter versus Carter. That's a pretty big case
1: mm-hmm.
2: for slayer statute purposes, and that case deals with the way that it's phrased, like benefiting from your own wrong, mm-hmm. and then they kind of go into different scenarios and issues, and right. other cases kind of branch out into life insurance proceeds or trust proceeds or serving as personal representative. So if you're the slayer, you're not going to be allowed to serve as personal representative because you're basically in control of the person's affairs after you've killed them. So as a young lawyer, I was brought into a case where there was a man who had his wife killed as they were going through divorce proceedings and there's a Dateline special on it. It's the Locasio case. And mm-hmm. everybody in the probate bar has been involved in that case <laughs> in one way or another. And it's kind of a rite of passage, I would say, in this bar.
0: It's a Miami case? It was a, a Miami case. Miami. It was a,
2: a local Miami <laughs> accountant, I believe, who was married to this woman, Sylvia Locasio. And their son, their only son, was the person fighting to be the sole heir of the estate. Otherwise, his father was going to inherit his mother's estate because they were still technically married. Mm -hmm. I think I recall from Dateline Special, I wasn't working on the case when this all happened. The father had a brother that he basically enlisted to help kill his soon-to-be ex-wife. And the Dateline Special is crazy. I mean, they just show the guy like frantically buzzing at the husband's Miami Beach apartment the night that he killed this woman. And he bludgeoned her to death in her kitchen as she was coming home from the salon. And then Whoa. her son got home. He was in medical school. And I don't know if he found the police there or if he found his mother's body. I can't recall. But it was Either traumatic nonetheless.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I'm glad they have a law against that. No. <laughs> yeah. Glad they codified that. Yeah. 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 I mean, Wow. Yeah. So the point was, I came across your article and doing some research on you. We called, a whole, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But the statute just was expanded last year.
2: Okay. It was. So Florida was a little behind the eight ball. No other way. states. No. I mean, Florida, <laughs> really? And surprisingly, in doing research for that article, and actually not surprisingly, in doing research for that article mm-hmm. and for a CLE that I'm putting on with Westlaw soon, I realized that My counterparts in other states didn't have as many cases that dealt with, especially Kansas and Missouri, didn't have as many cases that dealt with the Slayer issues as we did. We are number one. That's not surprising at all. So the Slayer statute expansion last year really caught up with a lot of other states that had provisions that prevented people who abused, exploited, neglected, or committed manslaughter against an elderly person or Mm -hmm. disabled adult. And... There are disinheritance penalties if you contribute to the death or cause the death of that person. The standard of proof is pretty high in a way because you've got the criminal conviction alternative, which doesn't always happen. Right. And then you've got the civil alternative, which is greater weight, but you've got to prove that it was an unlawful and intentional killing. Wow.
0: We have a corollary in bankruptcy, which is if you are the recipient, if you're a creditor and you received a preferential transfer, then the trustee can withhold your distribution. I mean, I think it's slightly less heinous than uh, if, you, if you murdered <laughs> somebody. I, think, I feel like in bankruptcy, property, if yeah. you murdered the debtor, then you probably could have your claim disallowed too.
1: Maybe. Maybe. That's but true. the one question I would have is, and I don't know if the Slayer statute covers it, but what if they attempted to kill someone, right? And they didn't succeed in that way, but it disabled the person so that that person actually is incapacitated does that cover it? Now you could be the PR and control everything. You've incapacitated this person.
0: I happen to have your article on the screen, if I may answer for you. Oh, please it says, answer. Oh, you're going to answer for me. Until now, this is, I'm just quoting from this article. Until now, the statute failed to extend its reach to penalize abuse, neglect, exploitation, and aggravated manslaughter against the state's most vulnerable residents. Oh, I guess that doesn't answer it. But so, that's right. against the elderly, Freshness which I understood right.
1: that. And I should have clarified my question. But anyway, other than the old. but your point is attempted if you yeah. didn't right so yeah.
2: if you're not convicted right in this expansion there's actually a provision that deals with the prevention from serving as personal representative of the estate or right. of any estate in Florida if you were convicted of elderly abuse okay. or exploitation or disabled right. abuse or exploitation or the other <clears throat> variants if you were convicted in any state or foreign jurisdiction so you are prevented with that conviction but. I think there's a gap in the law Mm -hmm. that you can make the argument in front of the probate court and say there is a conflict and this person is not qualified to serve or shouldn't serve because of this. And because it's a court of equity, the court will likely consider it Mm. and probably hold an evidentiary hearing to find out if there's cause. But I think because it's a court of equity, you can make the argument and it'll fall under the common law. I don't think that the statute addresses that
1: as a whole. Yeah
0: the comment you just made is that even if they're convicted in another state, yes. which means they murdered some other person. Well, this is still... for the
2: exploitation oh, portion okay. of the statute. So if
0: they were convicted of exploitation of a different person, they still may be precluded from participating yes. as a beneficiary yes. in a probate estate
1: here. Well, yes. I like that. It seems like that is a natural thing that should happen, right? For sure. And I'm glad but that they codified you're it. you're being punished in one place for...
0: Some crime or misconduct somewhere else, unrelated. So, well, I would say that's unusual, you know, in our yeah, judicial system. I guess you could
2: consider like one of those crime of moral turpitude kind of situations. Right, right. Um, Don't right. abuse or exploit I mean,
1: the elderly. I right. Mean, you know, it's
2: good public policy, especially with yeah. the amount of seniors Florida has, and yeah. we've got to protect right. our senior population. And that so, our that population.
0: kind of answers my question, which was going to be why did RMO open a Florida office all the way out here on the other coast? just
2: wanted more sun. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's really a place where probate litigation is bound to and does happen very often. Mm -hmm. So we have people that come to retire here, people that have retirement (laughs) homes, or they're snowbirds, and sometimes they die here intentionally or unintentionally. And even if they don't die here, they have assets here. And those assets need to be probated and need to be sometimes fought about. (laughs) So it's really one of those natural places where you're yeah. going to see that happen.
1: So you interview, you leave your comfy, cozy law firm, and you take this opportunity to open an office. Tell In us, the midst of a pandemic. In the midst of <laughs> a <laughs> pandemic. So tell us, what are some of the highs and lows? I mean, because there are, as you open a business, right? And you right. do that, you have some support, obviously, but you're out here on the other coast, opening a business did you ever do that before? No. Is this your first time?
2: I no. didn't do it, and I didn't really plan on doing it. Yeah, <laughs> This kind of just fell on my lap, and yeah. I joked with Scott that I said, are you sure you want to hire me? Because I've never done this before, and the support that I received in getting this off the ground, I can't even find the words to mm-hmm. talk about that. It's been great. It's a firm that really values the human capital. It's a firm that really values the quality of life. And just like you guys, we have core values that we live by, and some of those are lead with empathy, be authentic, zealously efficacious, and we try to do everything based on that. It was refreshing to have that. I look at it as a very California mentality because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of emphasis on making sure that everybody's in the right place, in the right seat, making sure everybody is enjoying what they do. And... I mean, I'll give you an example. We have meditation once a month on Zoom with a meditation coach who's live from California. And we get together and we do from happy hours and we get together and we do little activities during our weekly meetings, just kind of get to know each other and really make it more enjoyable to work together. So that made a difference for me. Mm -hmm. And those were, I would say, the highs. The high also was having the opportunity as somebody who was just the grinding associate who Hmm. worked the long hours to kind of make my own day and make my own office and decide how we wanted to do things as a team. And it's been really rewarding to be able to work with, well, now my associate here, Elsa, who's fantastic. And we've gone through some changes, but at every step, we've had a good team that can put their heads together And there's really no ego in it. We just go for it, do what we do best. And Mm -hmm. it's been really, really nice. The lows, I would say, are the change in being the grinding associate who's just like doing the project or working on a case. And yeah, you're responsible for a case, but being responsible for other people, being responsible for every day to day decision and every day to day thing. I mean, everything from finding new office space when we had to move and having a really hard time doing that based on the amount of people that went back to the office and to handling bills and accounts and really being the point person for clients. I remember when I had difficulty with clients before that were not necessarily my clients, maybe my senior attorney or managing attorney's clients, I would go to them and say, hey, I'm having this issue and they would address it. I'm that person now and it's not always easy dealing with AR and all those things that are the not-so-fun yeah. parts of running a business. I brought some cases with me, but we really started at almost zero. Getting the word out there that we're here, that we're doing what we're doing, that mm-hmm. we do good work, that we specialize in. Well, I, sh- I don't know if I get to specialize into the Florida Bar, but we focus on this kind of work. And it's a huge market here in Miami. So it's not easy to break into it. Right. It helps that you have relationships. It helps that you have right. a community around you that then comes out to support and sends business and checks on you. It's been really rewarding to do that and to kind of bring those relationships to the next level.
0: Fantastic. And I guess it helps that, I mean, you were opening an office by yourself, but you're also part of a firm. So you have the resources available to you, phone call or Zoom away to support you. And so even though it may have felt like you're alone, at times you really weren't alone. You had a whole firm behind you.
2: Right. I never really was alone down here. We were always two. We had somebody else who left us and opened up her own shop, proud of her for doing that. And then now we have Elsa Van Gorp, who was a public defender for five years and probably has more trial experience than I'll ever get because Mm -hmm. we settle way too many cases. But she's been instrumental in being able to dedicate my focus to growing the practice more Mm -hmm. than the day-to-day work. And I can give her anything with my eyes closed. And it's been really nice to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you followed one of the pieces of advice that we regularly give to young lawyers starting their own office, and that is bring on a number two now. A lot of people struggle with that decision. Mm -hmm. When am I going to be ready? I don't know if I have enough work now. You're ready now. If you're ready to open your own office, you're ready to have another person there. And just having a second set of hands changes everything you do.
2: Yeah, and a second set of eyes, a second brain to run things by. Because sometimes we have blind spots and... We don't always recognize it, but we try to make sure that somebody else can give us their perspective. So we work on everything as a team. And if I have an idea and she Mm -hmm. has a better idea, we'll go with that. That's how it is. At first, I thought I was going to be doing this by myself, and that was daunting. I'm glad I didn't have to, and I'm thankful to Scott and Sean and Matt for doing that and hiring two people at the same time and taking a chance on a new market. But it's really been a blessing to have that. Like you said, I don't know how I would have done otherwise.
1: So through all of this, you're also a professor?
2: was. No, so I didn't want to correct not. you when you started, but okay. I was. I taught one semester when I was at my prior firm. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. I had just started at my prior firm, and I had committed to teach okay. that semester. LSV3, which is Legal Skills and Values 3, mm-hmm. Upper Level Legal Writing at FIU. And we really focused on... We had a transactional assignment and they did a hotel franchising agreement, which I had to learn all about to be able to teach it. <laughs> right, right, right. That was fun. And then we had the typical motion for summary judgment briefing and that kind of thing. And I had eight students, it was a very small class, but a lot of assignments. And I was up till three in the morning, yeah. many, many nights grading and going through stuff to get ready for class, making my PowerPoints and. It was challenging. I had a full caseload and I didn't have support at my prior firm, support staff really assigned to me. So I was doing everything and I mm. couldn't manage that long term. I think in the future, I may reconsider and do it again. It was a lot of fun. It was really rewarding and it was a long time goal of mine.
1: So I love the name of the course, Litigation Skills and Values. Yeah. What are the values? Is it certain Values and morals and professionalism. What does that mean? Yeah,
2: values, morals, professionalism, Mm -hmm. local practice advice. And I would give them my old lady nuggets of wisdom every class I would try. My Mm -hmm. golden nuggets of wisdom because the way you teach in a law school, usually you have books that are kind of across the board for any state. And the way that they were teaching, for example, motions for summary judgment I had only seen in the Eastern District of New York with a notice of motion that was actually a motion, and then a memo of Super law, and memo just of like law, yeah. yeah, So yeah. it's not local practice. So really, the values and encouraging them to really reach out to opposing counsel, have a conversation. We taught negotiation. We taught decorum in that sense, attire, right. and we graded them on everything. Obviously, you're not grading on like physical appearance, right. but you're grading on professionalism, being sure. put together, and bringing that to the table. So that's really what I tried to focus on. And I tried to give them the benefit of what I learned and practice that I necessarily didn't learn in school as much as I could so that they wouldn't go into it as blind or blind or right. me, I guess. Well, so. hopefully
0: you get back to it. Yeah. And if you're teaching the next class you teach on opening a law office, <laughs> any, uh, <laughs> what would be the first piece of advice for a young lawyer starting her office? Oh, man. I already gave mine hire somebody. right?
2: But. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. One thing that I did early on was I made a list of all the people that I thought would support me. Oh, and I went to them and I told them immediately, Hey, I'm doing this. Love to catch up with you. Let's go grab coffee. Let's go grab lunch. And that really made a difference.
0: Smart. smart. I, I love, love that. Smart, yeah. And I tell my kids that all the time that people want to help. If you just ask, that's all you have to do is ask. And most people, not everyone, but most people are willing and interested in helping and supporting each other. And we're better as a team.
2: Absolutely. We humans,
0: we do better when we work together. Absolutely. With support. Yes. We should end on that. I I, I mean. mean. (laughs) As humans. (laughs) Wow. Gia, I have enjoyed this. Brett, I always enjoy chatting with you. Nelson, you're the best. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review, follow the podcast, share it with your friends and family. If you have any questions or you want to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us. We've heard from a few listeners who are wanting to be guests and they will be joining us soon. And we'll catch you next time.
1: Thank you, Gia. Thank you, Nelson. Thank
2: you, guys. Thanks, Gia. Great.
1: For more information on this show and other resources, Visit
0: FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram
1: at FastAmron.